Welcome back to this week's episode of Bricks and Clicks. Today, Colin and I are joined by Kelly Lee, who is the founder and CEO of Rowdy, a gut health company. Kelly, welcome to the show. And I can't wait to hear all about the specific products and uh, what they are. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us about Rowdy. What products do you sell? What are your gut health products? What's the range of, uh, of what you offer? Absolutely. So the, we have a prebiotic protein bar that basically paved the way for Rowdy. I started it out of my kitchen in 2013, and then we launched into retail in January of 2018. Um, the bars are yep. uh, in retail, but in 2021, we launched a grass-fed collagen protein powder, and now we have three flavors. We started with the Snickerdoodle, and last year we launched the vanilla bean and the chocolate. My first question I got to ask is, you mentioned it's a prebiotic bar. So I know what probiotics are. I hear about them all the time, use them all the time. But what is a prebiotic for maybe for me and other listeners who don't know? Absolutely. So prebiotics are basically the fuel for your probiotics. And you'll find them in leeks, bananas, chicory root, Jerusalem artichoke. I actually get my prebiotics from the uh, yacon root which comes from South America. It looks like a sweet potato, but it has a consistency of an apple or a watermelon because it's fibrous. And it has the FOSS prebiotic bacteria rather than the inulin. We do have some inulin prebiotic in our bars, but we use the yukon root in our protein powder. So they act, the prebiotics stay in your upper GI tract. Probiotics go into your lower GI tract. And so while the probiotics are doing their job, they pull from that upper GI tract the prebiotics and they use that bacteria to do what they need to do to digest properly. Got it. So they work off each other, prebiotics and the probiotics. Absolutely. So both. Got it. Okay. Thank you for that. I just wanted to get that clarified because I hadn't heard that term before. Cool. In terms of Rowdy, the bar, so you started a few years ago. How did you start it? What did that look like? Maybe give us a little story on the background of the company. Absolutely. So I started it out of my kitchen. My husband and I are big backpackers. So we hiked the Sierras and I would always pack the food. I always told him, you bring the gear you pack the gear, I'll pack the food. And so I would cook up yeah. different products like granola, muffins, and I would even vacuum seal asparagus so that when we were up in the mountains, we had fresh veggies. And I always made for a really good experience. I ended up developing this bar recipe and I started making it. And my husband would say, are you going to make the dream bars this weekend? And so I would make them and then start yeah. making them for my family as gifts. And one of my sisters said to me, you should sell these. At the time, I was a marketing um, director over at a local hospital. They had a cancer rehab and fitness center. I was making 10 batches a week. I got a cottage food permit, made 10 batches a week and was selling them to customers over at the fitness center. And it eventually, at the time I was getting my MBA and I submitted for a contest and I actually won the contest and they were going to invest in the company. Once I had an attorney look at it, they're like, don't oh, wow. sign this contract. So at that point, I decided to talk to my family and I brought my family in 2017 and my father became part owner and we launched with a co-packer in January 2018. We got our first retailer, which was Larry's here in Reno, Nevada. They took a chance on us. We got them by March of 2018. That kind of snowballed the getting into retail thing because we had our first distributor by August of 2018, which was UNFI. Wow, that's a pretty quick series of events going from just slinging bars out of your own kitchen to actually being on shelves. And what was it like taking the formulation from like, from your kitchen to actually getting it to a co-man and getting them to manufacture? I'm sure it was super easy and everything went smoothly, right? That took years, <laughs> actually. And so I called the year 2016 
the year of no's because everybody told me I was too small. And we, I actually had to get a food scientist because the original bar was multi-layered and enrobed in chocolate. And I would enrobe it here in my kitchen. Eventually, we reformulated. I found a food scientist. She was amazing. Her name is Rachel. And I read a lot of books, The Co-Man versus The Con Man, and got familiar with the industry and found a co-packer out of Boise who was willing to do small runs. And that's how we got started. They took a chance on us. And they and then we have since moved on from that co-packer because we grew. And now we co-pack out of Southern California. <laughs> Very cool. So now looking back on it and for the folks listening who are maybe earlier on in their journey, what like what do you wish you had known going into that before getting all the no's? What would have helped you get to the yeses sooner? That's a good question. When I think back on the process, like that process doesn't bother me as much as the process after I got into retail because I feel like the process of leading up to that was the journey and it was fun for me because I had to figure things out. I had yeah. to figure out how to make the bars work. And it was more after the fact of getting into retail. I think where I would say is I wish I would have just slowed down. Like I was so eager to move really fast. <laughs> and I wish I would have just savored that moment of a slow growth rather than a quick growth. And I know that's probably a lot of advice. People give that advice a lot because they've been through it. But and I know I've heard that advice, too, and I ignored it. I would say don't ignore that <laughs> advice. So what does your quick growth look like? So what does that mean? Like you were just trying to get into as many retailers as possible. You were giving back, like your margins weren't there. What does that mean? Definitely getting into as many retailers as possible. And then also expanding our yeah. profiles. I, everybody that I talked to said, oh, you need to have at least five flavors. No, not necessarily. You can do it on two to three. No. Yeah. So I ended up- Two to three. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. I ended up coming out with five flavors and then it just became this like juggling act and uh, amongst the five flavors. And that became very time consuming, costly, trying to, we'd get some retailers that had these two flavors, some retailer had these two flavors. And I was like, I should yeah. stuck with two flavors and that's it. Definitely the expanding on the flavors, growing too fast in that regard, but also moving too fast into to the larger retailers and then taking their word for it because we ended up getting a forecast for 60,000 bars. Then a buyer changed and the, the order didn't come through. Mm. So I know a lot of people have gone no, through no. that as well in our, that are on the yeah. same level as us, but. So then we ended up with 60,000 bars that we had to push through other areas. But yeah, so the, those kinds of things. Yeah, the flavor, the flavor, I think, is such a good point. We always say, try and get to three flavors. Once you have three flavors, then you're a brand. That's a really good spot. But really, it's one flavor at a time. Find your one that works really well. Add the second one. Probably some combination of chocolate and peanut butter and just doing that a couple of times. Seeing it works. And then you can go down the line because it's just, you just, you don't need all that. Right. It just makes it too complicated. Your supply. Yep. So what was your strategy in that kind of growth period after you, you got on some shelves and then you were getting on more shelves? How did you grow your distribution? And then how did you nurture the brand to make sure you're getting the pulls off the shelf too? What were maybe some things that worked there and maybe some things that didn't work too? So my strategy was the ripple effect, right? I was going to start small and then just grow my way out, starting with the West region because that's where I'm at on the West Coast. We focused predominantly on, on in California, Nevada, Northern Nevada, Washington, and Oregon. And we were able to make that work. Some of the things that we did to assist in getting the bars off the shelves is we hired field merchandising companies that were basically our feet mm -hmm. on the ground. 
we did a lot of demoing. So I still do a lot of demoing with Whole Foods just because our sales with Whole Foods are just really, they're really strong. They're probably one of our best retailers. And then we participated in like special programs. So Whole Foods had this marketing thing where uh, with people who were buying from home and having their groceries delivered, you could put in sample packs. And so we participated in things like that. And that really helped drive up our sales. The retailers that didn't offer those kinds of programs, we just made sure that our marketing, field marketing team was talking with the managers, making sure our product was um, looking nice on the shelf. And then we would even have, sometimes we'd have the field marketing company purchase bars and then hand them out. And that was the way we would demo for those companies that weren't allowing for demoing. Mind you, I launched in January 2018. We started getting into our bigger retailers in 2020 of all years. And so we had a little bit of an uphill battle because (laughs) consumers... And bars were tough. Yes. And we took the category took a huge hit and consumers were buying what they knew and they were buying bulk. And so they were grab and go mode anymore. We had a little bit of a struggle with that. I'm always interested in the demos because I'm learning a lot from talking with all these different brands about that really early phase of things. Mm-hmm. So like when you're running demos, did you do you see like we were selling, I don't know, one unit per store per week. You go do some demos and look at it again and your velocities are higher. Are you able to literally see I run a demo and my velocities increase? We definitely saw that with Whole Foods. The company that we used was, she actually was a smaller outfit. She wasn't a big, big company. She specialized in just Northern California area with smaller Whole Foods, like Whole Foods being bigger, but she worked with Draggers and some of the other smaller retailers. We would get reports from her on how much she would sell, and then we would cross-reference that with what Unify was providing us, and we would see an increase in sales. There would always be a bump during those months that we were really pushing it. Yeah. Last question on the demos. I know Johnny's chomping at the bit here to ask you a trade question. But are, do you still do demos as heavily or are you, do you have the recognition now where you like you go in and you've got the sales there to support it? We've slowed down on the demos tremendously. Yeah, we're no longer working with the field marketing teams as either. We've cut back on all of that. Our peak season is usually the summer months. So we might do some demoing during those peaks months just to get people thinking about yeah, it. it. Yeah, because it is expensive, right? And that is one of the downsides of demos. It can be pretty pricey. So you want to definitely manage that budget. Speaking of marketing and other budgets, I know Colin and I always talk about the trade spend line on the P&L, and it's typically a pretty big line. So maybe you could talk to us around how you view trade spend, how you spend your trade, and anything that you've learned along the way over the last few years. It's really great because when I first launched into this, I didn't understand trade spend at all. Like I didn't understand how to make it work yeah. at my P&L. Nobody does. And I had to hire yeah. people to help yeah, me. Yeah, I'll have to learn it. Yeah, but I did finally figure it out and we did get it yeah. to a point where we were managing it. We had we were doing about 10% was our trade spend. We had a, an advisor who he ended up advising us to take 2022. This was in 2021. He's like, your trade spend's too low for a new emerging brand. You should bump up your trade spend for 2022. And so we were like, well, okay, we'll play with that and see if it were. And so we we took that for 2022. It actually really hurt us in the long run because in 2022, not only did we increase our trade spend, but our prices were increasing. Our supply of our products and the ingredients and everything, just everything was going up. Just the cost of business was going up in general. And so our margin on our bars were just dwindling. 
And they were dwindling to begin with at a regular price. And then we were doing all this trade spend, trying to appeal to these retailers. And so then we were either next to nothing or losing. And I would not recommend doing that. So how did you, when you say increase trade spend, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can spend on. Was there, what, did you know what you were going to spend on or was it just, we got to go spend more? So we did have somewhat of a strategy. We were participating. I'll give an example for Hagen's. They have a lot of different programs that you can participate in. $500 for this advertisement here. You can go on TP, you can do your TPRs, this and that. And so we were doing, we were participating in those programs. So when the retailer offered these programs, we would participate in it because we figured, okay, let's give it our all. We will, when we launched into market of choice, we supplied market of choice with the people to stock the shelves. We paid for that. So we were trying to build these relationships with the retailers. And on one hand, I feel like it was good because I feel like we did develop strong relationships. And I think that's important. But on the other hand, we were basically cutting our nose off to spite our face in the long run. It didn't really work out the way we thought it would. The return really wasn't there. And then we also did participate in like the quarterly marketing with the distributors. So we were giving things like that. And then I learned later, it's better to do scans rather than MCVs. That's so, one of our, that's one of our uh, favorite pieces of advice that works basically all the time and can save a ton of money is watch yeah. out for those MCVs and OIs and try and do scans. So were there any bright spots when you canvassed and participated in basically all the programs, it sounds? Did you find any winners, even though maybe you found a lot of losers too? I, I think Cold Boots and Save Mart have been our winners. So like when we, and actually Save Mart, is awesome. I will have to say, I love where I love working with them because they, if you do the trade spend, there's portions of it that, you know, you pay for, but then there's things that they'll do for you for free. Mm-hmm. And then they put us on an end cap and it didn't cost us anything. Yeah. So there was like this mutual respect and partnership. Yeah. And a partnership as like, how it should be. Really appreciate my relationship with Save Bar. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really important to figure out who the buyers are who those buyers are that will treat it as a partnership, that's where probably spending the more money actually returns Yes. versus who those retailers are that are just going to be a transactional retailer for you. And that's okay too. But they said, maybe you don't do all the ads and TPRs. Maybe you just do one or two. Yes. (laughs) Pay for performance, basically. We'll spend more with the retailers that are performing and doing, working with us and investing their shelf space or their margin or whatever it is, their end caps with us. Yeah, we're happy to work with that and drive turns and drive velocity and grow our business with them. So that's always that's always a, our advice that we give when we work with brands. That's good advice. So what's coming up next then? Where are the next, what are the next moves for Rowdy? What can we expect to see coming up in the future? So our biggest pivot right now is really pushing our grass-fed collagen protein powders. We just launched into Harmon's in Utah. So we're really excited about that launch. That's with UNFI. And we just feel like we have a solid product. Margins are healthy. There's room for trade spend. And it's a quality product. No natural flavors, no sugar alcohols, no, no flavoring at all just real wholesome ingredients. There's only six ingredients or less in all of our powders and it's it's predominantly the collagen and it tastes good and it dissolves well. So that's our push for the future is really pushing the powders and getting those onto the market. They also have the Yakon powder in them. So you're getting that component of the prebiotic. And we don't know where that's going to lead. We might expand on in flavors 
I have three flavors right now, so I'm gonna stick only with three though. Only yeah, three, yeah, that. only three. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get that going first. first. Where the powder is also created home type product that you would use on your hikes and your backpacking excursions, or and seeing what works and bring them along for the ride. So how I came up with that idea is I was buying collagen protein powder and it would just taste of the F. And then I'd look at the ingredients and I'd yeah. like, why do they put all this stuff in it? We don't need all of it. We don't need all these extra, we don't need vegetable oils. We don't need carrageenan. We don't need natural flavors. There's real products out there, real ingredients out there that will do just the same. And so I said, I'm going to make my own. I'm done buying other people's products that just aren't doing it for yeah. me. I ended up reaching out to a food scientist yeah. and I said, this is what I want in it. I want health, grass-fed collagen, pure collagen. And, and then I told them what I wanted in each flavor. We launched with the snickerdoodle just because I love cinnamon. We just felt like that was a good flavor. Yeah. We launched with that and it, it was a success. So I was like, okay, fair enough. This is easy. Let's try some two different flavors and, and see how it works. And so far now our vanilla bean is, snickerdoodle was our top seller, obviously, because we launched with it. But then vanilla is taking charge vanilla bean and because there's actual mm. chunks of vanilla bean you'll see in the powder and then because we don't use any flavoring it's real vanilla bean and then uh, the chocolate is my personal favorite because i'm a chocolate lover so that's doing well also for the chocolate love. so very cool and is this product more i mean it's pretty easy to ship this product i know powders do really well are you doing a lot of more online sales than in store with this one yep 100 yeah, percent. And- no you're right all the way around with the shipping, the storing, everything. It's just a better product to to deal with and predominantly D, D to C. Oh, great. Love that. Uh, any um, placements in retail on it yet or is it strictly a D to C product for you? We did just get into Harmons. Yeah, Harmons in Utah. Harman. I guess it's a little harder. Maybe not. A little harder to demo this, but maybe it's not. It just needs some water around shake, also. Shake it up. <laughs> yeah, Give them some samples, pour some samples. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess you can sample it online when you get your new flavors going too, because you can just give people give people the extra flavors and see what they like. That's, we actually do that. We put together little sample pouches of each flavor. So if somebody orders the bars, we drop them in the powder, sample powders. And then if they order one flavor, we sample, drop in a sample of the other flavors just so that they can try it. And then the other way that we sample it, I'm going to be doing a demo this Friday actually is, I actually bring a blender and I get some frozen fruit and I get almond milk and then water. I give those two choices and just to keep it simple for me. And then we blend it and I just pour it into little cups. So that works out. At Expo West, we're just going to be handing out pouches just so that we don't have the mess of blending and keeping it simple. Smart. Cool. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you got a lot going on running a CPG company. We really appreciate the time and the conversation. We learned a lot. Hopefully our customers will buy your product. What's your website so they can go and buy it online from you? It is rowdybars.com. Awesome. Rowdybars.com. So go and order, try the bars, try the new powder, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Kelly. Bye-bye.